The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Oh, what a great audience. Let's dim the lights for this next one. Nope, too much. Ah, there it is. Gotta get things just right. Like Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Tell us what you want to pay and we help you find coverage options that fit your budget. And now, the mood is right. Wait, the lights are back on again. Trudy, can you? And now it's completely dark. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to Look for Lunch. It's me, Hugh, and uh, Jen is my co-host today. Hi. And uh, now we've got uh, Christopher Oliphant and Rona Smithram joining us. And, of course, they, uh, they've written that incredible book, Accepting the Radical. And what, we, what the real message there, guys, is that... Uh, you cannot be fixed, right? I don't know if that's good news or bad news, but uh, we're going to get into it today, um, and especially around relationships. Right, guys? That's right. Um, I'm already excited. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I told you I founded a political party called the Radical Moderate. Huh. Yeah. That sounds yeah. like a oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, um, I mean, I, I know we, we kind of talked about this the last time you guys were here, but the idea that, because um, most people, if they're going to buy a book like this, it's because they, they're trying to deal with some problem that they have in their lives, and they are probably assuming that there's a, something that needs to be fixed. But you guys are, I guess, bringing the good news that we don't need to be, nor can we be. Well, it's not that we don't need to Yes, we, there are changes we'll want to make in our life, but this idea that we can take a magic pill, wave a magic wand, uh, do some little metamagical therapy, and suddenly all my problems have gone away is... I'm going to be different. That's, it's, it's, a, it's an illusion, and it's false. And what we find is that people come in feeling damaged. Mm-hmm. And when we can say, hey, you, you are who you are, Let's work with that. Let's accept you for who you are. Instead of trying to fix who you are, let's accept who you are. And then from that acceptance, what new choices can you make? So if, if for example, you come in and you say, I'm, I'm abusing drugs. And we say, okay, well, that's, that's, let's accept that. So ex- drugs are an important part of your life. Uh, they're probably serving a purpose. They're helping you cope in some way. Let's start there. All right. Now, once you can accept that, that addiction is a part of your life, they are helping you cope, they are serving a purpose, maybe the next time you want to make a different choice. Maybe there's another way you can help cope, another strategy for solving the problem that the drugs were solving. So by accepting, we actually open up new choices and new abilities to make different decisions about how I act. Hmm. This seems to be really in line with um, with some kind of conventional current psychology on, on in terms of um, cognitive behavioral modification and um, the idea of actually looking at how you act and working towards finding a way to make that better. But I like the idea of actually starting at a, peri- at a, at a position of acceptance mm-hmm. instead of starting at a position of you're, you're really broken, we got to fix you, we got to retool you and make you like. And then the question is, what are they trying to make you like? Are they trying to make you like a certain model that everybody is supposed to fit into? Mm Because I don't think that's going to happen. Right. Yep. And there's a lot of similarities between the work we do and and CBT and and so on. And so many other modern therapies, yes. Very much so. 
Now, do people have to come to this in a certain frame of mind? We get people arriving in all sorts of frames of mind, from help fix me make this go away, to something not quite working in my life, how can you help me live more creatively and effectively? And in both cases, we're going to start with, all right, let's see who you are, let's work with that, let's move away from you are damaged into you are who you are, and how can we then, through that acceptance, make your life more effective, make it less dysfunctional, and allow you to move forward in a way that's more creative and more in line with the goals you have and who you are as a person. Okay. Now, um, I know that you brought the cards again, and I know Jen is <laughs> intrigued by the cards. I'm, I'm also I'm also entirely uh, unaware of what I'm getting into uh, if I ask yeah, yeah. if I, if I so, do the cards. <laughs> now, and I know today, too, really, we're concentrating on relationships. Right. So, I mean, what, uh, should we do the cards? Is that a good kind of uh, segue to talking about the relationships? Or what's the best way to explore this, do you think? Well, want to talk about how screwed up my relationships are because that's a good subject, I suppose. Well, why don't we talk about Why don't we talk about a little bit about fertile ground, perhaps? And then we'll pause and do a card and maybe return to relationship. Sounds great. Okay. What we're trying to do in our relationship work is start from the premise that your relationship is fine, your beliefs about what it should be are what are causing your problem. We have been fed a series of lies lies fed to us by Disney films, by romance novels and romance films, by porn films, by society at large. We're being fed basically a crock. And uh, we want to say, hey, if you challenge the lies, you're actually going to find your relationship working better. Instead of trying to somehow fit your relationship into a series of fantasies and lies and, and, and wonder why it's not working. Now, these could be any relationships, right? Yes, we're talking primarily about intimate relationships, like, whether, regardless of sexual orientation. And, but it can also work for friendships, work relationships, because, again, we have these expectations about how we're supposed to be, how our, the person we're in relationship with is supposed to be, and these fantasies about this wonderful state that that's going to be instead of the realities of the very human struggles it is. Now, I was just going to say, too, besides those other things that you mentioned that influence us, like we have, you know, in, in a, for example, the, in marriage, like that's a role, right? I, well, that's funny that you're laughing. I want to hear about that. But uh, it's a role that our society has kind of imposed on, on this particular relationship that for thousands of years. Right, right. A, a role that was intended for uh, protection of the family, raising of children, and, is, and in many ways is no longer relevant. Uh, most people, many of our clients are, are choosing not to tie the knot, per se, it, yeah. it, as an expression. Uh, and some are. There's, there's still an archetypal energy around this idea of marriage. It's why same-sex marriage has been so important for, for many homosexual couples because there is something unique about the, the, the word marriage and the act of publicly proclaiming a commitment to each other. And it's no longer needed in the ways that it was a thousand years ago. Right. So it's, its role itself as an institution in the culture may 
maybe up for revision or something. Sure. Uh, there's, a, there's a song I remember out of my era where uh, we're heading to the chapel <laughs> and we're going to get married. Yeah. And, and what's that line? I'll never be lonely again. Wow. So 50% of the time, that could be true, maybe? Maybe, if you're lucky. Maybe. <laughs> Shoot for 10, you'll be good. Right. Kind of reminds me of the love scene from uh, Team America World Police. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I'm thinking of, of just the idea of if, if we don't feel in love, then somehow the relationship is damaged, that, that somehow... We're not in the relationship with the right person. I, again, I, right. I think of the Gordon Lightfoot song, If You Could Read My Mind. Something's gone wrong. The feeling's gone. I can't get it back. So we have to split. Right. Instead of the feeling's gone, that's perfectly normal because feelings like any feeling come and go. How do we work now from this place instead of it being this wonderful, I'm in love with you, everything is great, into... Wow, you're you're this horrible person I married. Now what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, it's too late. <laughs> we really seem to get fed that concept that it's only the most extreme kind of emotion that we can call love. That that it's only that intense physical attraction, intense mental mm -hmm. interest. That if we don't want to be with that person at every moment of every day, then there's something wrong. That's right. Yeah. And and we don't, we you can't live in that state. Yes, it's a wonderful state. We enter into it at the beginning. We meet this person. We fall in love. The sex is great. Everything's great. This person completes me in so many ways. And then real life happens. Right. And the things that I fell in love with, I now can't stand. So the person who was uh, spontaneous is now irresponsible. The person who was dependable is now boring. The person who was artistic is now flighty. It's so reality sets in. Now what do you do? And that's where we want to begin to say, instead of saying, oh, there must be something wrong, I must be damaged, my partner must be damaged, well, maybe the, maybe the fantasies, maybe the beliefs that you're using to feed this are the problem. So let's go through the chart a little bit. Yeah. Because... Um, well, then we're going to get out of because, the cards. And I'm going to show it here. I'm still there's safe for a charts. bit. And uh, there's three columns. Uh, one is the, uh, one is the, the lies. lies. The second uh, column is the realities, and the third column is the healthy uh, foundations. I think maybe going through this might help people understand okay. more about what sure. you're talking we'll about. We'll take a few that are really important, and we'll go through them, and then we can do the cards. Cool. I like this already. I mean, I just sped-read the charts, so sure. I say. yeah. So, okay, where do we want to start well, I think here? You start from the very first thing, right? The purpose of a relationship. Right. The purpose of a relationship is to love and be loved. No, that's the lie. That's right? the lie. But it sounds right to me. So. I know. <laughs> I know. That's what we thought. <laughs> it's like the idea of having children so that somebody will love you unconditionally, and then you find out that children are people. Right. Right. Who, who have who their use, own who ideas. Who use you unconditionally. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We've had five of them, so we know it well. We Can't still haven't had a, an unconditional child. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the purpose of relationship... It, it, uh, well, the reality of the relationship is that 80% of it is going to be work and struggle. Yeah. And 20% of it will be love. That sounds like a bad ratio. It may be from our, our illusion or fantasy that love relationships are supposed to be love and happy and wonderful. Yeah. But the when reality you can is... accept the fact that the relationship is hard work and that those feelings are going to come and go when you can relax into that. When you're in that 80%, you can just breathe and do your work. It's not about having to 
leave or um, find some pill to get back to this love and be love place. In other words, it's just accepting that this is the way it is. This is it. That's right. It's hard work. I mean, anybody that's been in a long-term relationship knows how difficult it is. We say to folks that your first, usually your first year, maybe 18 months if you're lucky, the romance stage, it's a great stage. 18 months. Maybe 18 months. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. It's great. (laughs) Then for the next two to... 14 or 15 years, you're living in this 80%. And then what comes after that? And that's if you're doing your work consciously. Right. What comes after that? What comes after that is an ability to be together, watching the love come and go, watching the experiences come and go, without it being a big drama, without it being a big struggle, without the drama queen making a big production, without blaming each other for what's going wrong you can live and truly be far more intimate far more vulnerable than you ever could in the in love stage do you think if we're conscious that this is what relationships actually do that we can actually achieve that that ratio quicker that we can actually get out of that 80 percent and so that the, the 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 time the years after that initial passion could actually be more what happens is it, it switches from a, we, we start out with this 100% we're in love. Right. It flips into that 80% and then at, if you are really conscious and you do the work because the healthy foundation of this is the purpose of relationship is to have my buttons pushed. It's not about love. Because when I get my buttons pushed, I can do the personal growth work to move myself into a greater state of maturity. Right. And if you look at relationship from that perspective, then what happens is as time goes on, it goes, well, maybe 80% and then maybe 40% and 60% and then it flips back to maybe 60-40. And so there's this constant shift between moving into times of struggle and into times of that more contentment where I'm doing my work and it's not as dramatic and then times where I'm back in love again. And these three states can really flip with that fourth state being the commitment to do the work and and the ongoing work that I do. Hmm. So if I can look at it as relationship is designed, it's beautifully designed to, to encourage me to grow. But we don't really want to grow, do we, Christopher? Well, and that's the struggle. <laughs> and if you don't want to grow, then there are ways out. You can simply spend your lifetime in conflict. You can spend your lifetime moving in and out of relationships. Or you can play the peacekeeper and hit that dead end of well, I'm just not going to fight anymore, but I really haven't achieved the intimacy and the connection that I was hoping for. You know, I'm just wondering, maybe this is sort of the big, or one of the big problems with the culture as a whole these days. Because we're lazy. People, I mean, because I'm <laughs> what I'm saying is people don't really want to mature. They don't really want mm-hmm. that. They want to have a good time. Mm-hmm. They want to take the easy way out. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to feel in love. Mm-hmm. You know, beyond the 18 months. Yep. And so people... Instead of, uh, it's almost like that maturity that you're talking about is almost a byproduct of just dealing with the crap that you got to deal with on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis. Right, and, and our, our book, Accepting the Radical, talks a lot about the wheel. And in the wheel, what, what it is is about using all of life events as vehicles for growth. Right. Whether it's relationship or whether it's getting a ticket, <laughs> uh, it can all be used as vehicle for growth. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated that, um, that you use the term pushing buttons because that's typically that's used in a really negative way. That's right. You know, someone's pushing my buttons and... It's your and, fault. Well, and always the person Stop who's the closest it. to you is the one who can push your buttons the best because right. they're the ones who know you. They're the ones who have the history with you. They're the ones who know if you bring up that broken plate, it's going to cause stuff. But the idea that you can actually push people's buttons or have your buttons pushed in a positive way is actually totally new to me, and I'm already embracing it. I really like this idea. The buttons are going to get pushed one way or another. Mm -hmm. That's going to happen. That's a fact. What do you do with it? Do you go to the old patterns that aren't working, or do you try something new? Do you try to say, hey, this is, this is the very function of why we're in relationship. I can use that button being pushed as a vehicle for my growth, Right. and now it becomes my issue not theirs. Well, and it's great too because that means that even if the other person is not doing it consciously or doing it necessarily because they're doing it for your benefit, no. you can take a positive result from it. That's right. That's right. So it kind of brings us to our second one here, which is love is the glue that holds relationship together. Which is the lie. That's right. The lie. That's the lie. Love does not hold the relationship together. It's our matching neuroses <laughs> that hold the relationship together. That will, that will far outlast love. Far outlast love. Does that mean if you're both conspiracy theorists, you probably got a winning combination? <laughs> well, more often it's where one neurosis counters the other one. Right. So uh, we're working with a couple right now. One partner really needs a lot of close attention time. Really a lot of, I need to know you're there and, and Text there's a lot me of and, yeah. closeness. The other partner needs space. It's a perfect match. It is? It is. It sounds like hell to me. (laughs) But that's what we create. That's what we're attracted to, and that's what will actually keep us together. We have, we've had childhood crises. These childhood crises are what we grew up with and what we associate with love. So, so, and you see this in in extreme cases in, in abused relationships where so many abused partners were abused as children. And there's this, this, this very highly dysfunctional thing going on where abuse and love get Right. Confused. And a lot of time we spend when working with abused couple is just to look, identify that and, and accept that that is a reality so then they can begin to make new choices about how they want to act on that. So does this mean that instead of um, thinking that we have to get past our childhood traumas, we can actually embrace them and find somebody who actually matches us that way and grow positively despite the fact we have our childhood traumas still in place? Well, you're not going to get past your childhood traumas. Our childhood traumas come with us, and we can work with that in the context of the relationship. But our, our childhood traumas will be with us. This we've, sounds so... Oh, sorry, go ahead. We've been working on our childhood traumas for 30 years. <laughs> Constructively, actively, positively, for 30 years. No luck. They're still there. They're still now, there. We, we have a lot more choices around how they, they act out in our lives. Right. But yeah. they, under stress, yeah. that's what gets activated. That's our security zone. Right. I kind of think of this as the definition of, of civilization. It's not that we're, we're animals with a, thinly disca- the thin layer of civility on top of us. What makes us civilized is that we fight the urges to do bad things because we've learned not to do bad things. We've learned to be better to each other and to... And to society in general. On a good hair day. On a good, on a good hair day, exactly. <laughs> but this is um, this is interesting. It's almost. Um, it sounds a little bit like the the work of Alice Walker, the idea because um, I know that she was big on the idea of 
of looking at the child that you were and also about forgiving the child for being too weak or too young or too inexperienced to deal with the things. Well, and the child doesn't have the cognitive ability right, or the power. I mean, a child does not have the power to prevent uh, the, most of the traumas that have happened in our, in our lives. Right. Um, so not only do we not have the ability to reason and rationalize and do that because our brains are not developed, we also do not hold the, the family power or the power with the teacher or, you know, whomever. Right. Are you talking about Alice Walker, the color purple Alice Walker? Uh, did I get her name wrong? Alice Miller. Miller. Alice Miller. Yeah. Oh, okay. That, I, I knew Thank you. Name, right. Thank you. All right. Okay. I um, call her Alice Monroe sometimes, and that's definitely not the right one. It's like all Alice's are one Alice to me. Want to draw a card? <laughs> yeah, I want to draw a card. Okay, here we go with the cards now. Okay, so maybe you can explain this, Christopher, so as we're going. So we're going to draw one card from each pile. So these cards are referred to as our background cards. So pick any one. I've done a little bit of shuffling, but it really doesn't matter. Okay. Do I get to look at you it? You sure or? do. You want to hold it up to the camera there? They're all blank in the middle. Oh, good. <laughs> I, saw, I saw that this was blank in the middle, and I was actually terrified for a second there. So now we're going to draw a card to put in the middle. Okay. Oh, this is great. Okay, so the two different sizes of cards. Oh, this one. Two different sizes of cards. So this one says attachment. And, and yes, it is. And attachment balanced. And this one's to go in the middle. Oh, this is interesting. Okay, so attachment and disengaged is going in the middle. So in terms of your relationship and is the it? things that you're attached to in your relationships... What it's saying is you have an ability to step back and observe. Disengagement can be uh, shutting everything down and shutting everybody out, or it can be I am present, I am experiencing, and I don't need to get caught up in the drama of it. Right. And if you can do that in your relationships, and the observer is a wonderful gift to bring into a relationship when it's in its balanced state. Because that means that as the crisis emerges in the relationship, you can say, wait a minute, let me step back. Let me have a look at this. Let me take a breath. Let me figure out how to work with this. And then act. So, and this is actually true. I'm, I'm not the kind of person who immediately in a fight starts bringing up the past stuff. Because, I'm, because my buttons are being pushed and I'm trying to hurt the other person. Right. I do tend to step back. Mm -hmm. yeah. So with these cards, is this... Um, uh, do you find that the cards actually do tend to relate to the person who draws them? Because Most often. The, because the cards are archetypes. Okay. And that's what the cards are based on. We have 48 different archetypes that we then modify with the background cards. And we all have all of these 48 archetypes. So regardless of which card you're going to draw, it will respond, resonate with some aspect of your life. And there are times when it feels very synchronistic and the card really is incredibly appropriate for the person in the situation. Right. But because they're archetypes, it's actually going to be more likely that they'll that they'll hit us all at some level. At some level. That's really cool. Okay, plus, so... Plus I, with I, synchronicity, of course, you're always going to draw the right card. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's the interesting thing. Is synchronicity true? Or is it that events happen and we attach energy to them and declare them synchronistic? I can't answer that. I don't know. I guess at a quantum level, the very fact that we're doing something affects the outcome of what we're doing. Yes. Except for CERN and the Mandela effect that's changing everything. 
<laughs> but if you never looked at those, if you never looked at those issues, you'd never actually have to find an answer to those questions. Right. Ask a question, get an answer. <laughs> right. So, guys, I mean, I know we're, you know, we're. I don't know if it's going to be constructive to go through everything on the chart here, but let's just talk about, you know, what is the application of this of this approach? Is this to help people who are in relationships? Is this the kind of work that you do, or mm -hmm. some of the work that you do? Yeah, we we use this as a model and the foundation for for couples to be able to change the dynamics of the relationship. Mm -hmm. So if we we work from the perspective that every couple has at least one or two irreconcilable differences. So you are never going to solve your problems. You are always going to have that repetitive problem or problems that reoccur under stress. And when you can begin to accept that, rather than thinking that the, you know, finding the root cause so that, you know, I didn't get my cookie when I was three years old and that's why this is happening and now it's not going to happen anymore. When we can deal with the reality that that irreconcilable difference is going to be with us throughout our whole relationship, then we can develop new strategies on how to be with it and how to um, bring it into the relationship rather than having to fight against our partner Mm -hmm. um, to make something different happen because that's not acceptance. Right. And if I need him to be different than who he is, then that's not acceptance either because he can't be other than who he is. If I have an expectation that Chris is going to become an extrovert, I mean, <laughs> and enjoy going to parties. You can push him out of the nest like as many times be, as you that's want. That's right. <laughs> uh, we're going to be fighting to the to kingdom come because that's not who he is. But if I can accept his introvert and accept um, and work with, all right, we need to go to this party. What kind of time can we have? You know, what's going to be your comfort zone? And we can negotiate scenarios around those irre irreconcilable differences. Excuse me. So that foundation for couples to come back to commitment no you know what is it that you're committing to and what are the principles of your relationship and when you get derailed to come back to that healthy foundation that you proclaimed and how how soon can you get back there are there oh sorry go ahead well okay save that if you could i, I just, will because you guys are talking about um you're going to get your buttons pushed. Yep. And that that's actually just the way it is, and we're going to grow. Right. In fact, the more buttons, sounds like the more buttons we get pushed, the more we're going to grow. So my question is, like, because you can be in a relationship with somebody who's pushing your buttons, like, all the time, and you really don't want to be in a relationship with that person, mm -hmm. right? So, like, how do we yep. decide who we want to be in a relationship with? I mean, right. that might mean for a lot of growth, but you're not enjoying right. your life. So we are not people that would suggest that all relationships need to be maintained regardless. There does come a point, both of us come from prior relationships. There is a point when what we call is, is showstoppers versus annoyances. Mm -hmm. So if there is a showstopper, and for example, three common ones are abuse, 
uh, affairs and addictions. So if those are really big, then you might say, hey, this, this really isn't working. If someone is constantly critical, constantly, there's no escape, and they're unwilling to take up and accept and look at how they're being critical. If you're the only one doing the work in the relationship and the other partner is just blaming you all the time, these may be reasons to say, hey, the, the basic building blocks to make this work just aren't in place. If both of you can be looking at these healthy foundations, so looking, one of the things we were, we were saying the other day to a couple was, any issue that arises is me. So you don't push my buttons. You act and I react and say, hey, I reacted, that belongs to me. How can I work with that? And if I'm the only one doing that, then it becomes a very unpleasant relationship. Now we do know a couple where that's true. He's not doing any work and she's doing all the work and that works for her. So there's no absolute hard and fast rule. And if it's really not working, it's not working. Right. It's funny, that's, my question was actually gonna be kind of the flip side of that. What, are, what do you think are the essential uh, important elements that have to exist to keep people together? Is there some, is there some way of, of knowing whether you and your partner have something in common that's important, that's, that's enough to work on? Yes, communication. Can you talk about the issues in a way and not take the conversation personal? From the place of the adult. So I can say, right. hey, when this and this happened the other day, I felt really hurt and that's my issue to work with. Right. Now if I say that and you get defensive all the time. And I say, why did you tell me at the time? This is not the right time to bring this up. Right. And, and there's no ability to communicate and be able to share what's going on inside of me. Your partner's unwilling to communicate and share what's going on inside of them. Then I'd say it's missing a key element. If there's inability to take ownership, yes, that happened, and I am sorry for what I did. Uh, yes, I got angry, I, I responded in anger, and I apologize. If you can't both be willing to be able and willing to do that, then I would say that's another missing, that's a very other, very important element that's also missing. So ownership, uh, communication, a willingness to do, to look at relationship as a vehicle of growth. If you have those three elements in common, then I would say you have the three elements to make any relationship work. That's fantastic, because that's, uh, that's, honestly, that's almost the reason that I tell people that I don't do relationships right now, is because I only want to be in a relationship with another adult. And, as you were it's saying earlier, challenging. it's difficult to find adults in this culture. Well, uh, I hope, I'm optimistic that maybe the work that you guys are bringing to the table here today might be able to help that situation, at least for some of the people who might be watching this. Like, now today we're just talking about relationships, but um, so as you mentioned, so people that are having some trouble with the relationships, you guys can help them with, with this approach? Yep, we have, and we have had, we were doing a weekend intensive many years ago, and a couple arrived that we're saying we need help to end this relationship. Yeah. And by the end of the weekend, they were like two teenagers in love and stayed very much committed to each other. He died about 10 years later, but, but for that entire 10 years, there was a new commitment and a new dedication to each other. A lot, seeing each other 
as humans instead of this person who is destroying my life. Right. Mm. Made a, a, a totally transforming difference. Mm -hmm. They didn't change. They didn't become different people. But they were far more willing to be with this person and work through the issues. And that was, that was just one weekend. I like what you were saying earlier about how what, what I took away from something came up earlier was that somebody's characteristic can be positive or negative just depending on where you're standing and how you're looking at it. So Yeah, it's very perceptive. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's kind of wonderful because there obviously was a reason why you were with the person in the first place. If, if it was just how they looked or what physical, what physical uh, uh, property they brought to the relationship, yeah. you're probably in a bad place. You're probably always going to be in a bad place if that's what you base your relationships if, on. If that's the only thing you have, then yes. It's, there's nothing to grow on. It's like, I don't know if you've seen the movie The Queen of Versailles? No. It was actually about uh, a, a couple that was, uh, that did, a um, very rich couple who didn't know that they didn't like each other until they lost their money. Right. Mm. And it was a, a, docu a fascinating documentary where the, the filmmaker was actually around them when they lost their money, already making the documentary about them building the largest private home in the United States. Whoa. And watched them grow to understand that they had nothing in common, and their entire relationship had been built on their physical on their their physical possessions. But maybe they could have just stayed together, and pushed each other's buttons until they were super mature. Well, it was interesting. You you, you kind of learned that they weren't. They were both fairly childish, and I'm not sure what capacity they had, but they oh. both grew a lot out of it. Wow, interesting. Yeah, yeah. What's interesting because we always talking about you know people growing apart. And, and it sounds like if they're willing to communicate, that might not be a necessary thing. That if they're growing at all, if they're both growing, there might be a way to grow together. You see, growing yeah. apart is based on that fantasy. Right. We have to be in love. We have to be like this all the time. Well, there are many times that Ron and I don't feel love for each other. And that has allowed us to grow closer, not apart. Because we don't need to feel love. Right. And I, just to go back to what you were saying a moment ago, uh, Hugh, around um, pushing each other's buttons, I, I just want to clarify that a bit. It's not that we, in most of the time, we do not intentionally go out of our way to push our partner's buttons. Mm -hmm. We just go about our day, and whatever action or whatever, uh, whatever I'm saying is getting interpreted, and Chris will react, or I will react, and the button gets pushed, and it's being done unconsciously, and it's going through their filter. So it's not like I wake up during the day and say, okay, now what buttons can I push today that, you know, is going to get Chris going? <laughs> uh, for my personal growth. <laughs> um, it is, it's about when it arises from the unconscious, when our buttons get pushed unconsciously, then it gives us the opportunity to go inside and do our work. That's why we say that that you don't push my button. You're being you. My button getting pushed is a result of me, my history, and my issues. That's why it's mine, not yours. Can I give you an example and see how you might deal sure. with it? Um, I've known a lot of couples over the years who who get into trouble when one of the partners is suddenly becoming more successful than the other. And despite the fact that the partner who's less successful wants to be supportive, what they end up feeling is very jealous. Mm -hmm. um, how do you actually, how would you go about talking a couple through that kind of, that kind of issue? Well, again, we begin with who are you as individuals? 
what you bring in. Why is it, how does money and sense of value, how, do those, how are those connected in your life, in your psyche? So if value and money are related and connected, is that a connection you want to keep? Is that a connection that you want to drive your life? Or are you able to say, my value can come from other sources? Now the need to get value from sources isn't going to change, but you can make choices about what those sources are. So it can be, uh, it can be money, it can be comparing myself to others, so I have to earn more than, uh, more than in you, more than my partner, more than 50% of the people in the world, or it can be, am I doing my work in a way that is self-honoring, and can I use that as, as a way of finding value in myself? Right. And if that's the case, then I can begin to look at the issue of money and how I, how I get value out of that and make new choices. So that would be for the partner who would be the less successful. How would you get the person who's actually doing really well and wants to enjoy that? What would you talk to them about? Same thing. Same thing? Mm -hmm. How are you connecting money and fun or money and value and money and, and self-worth? And how are these connected for you? And, and are those the choices you want to make? Are you really now more important or better than your partner because you're earning more? And is that, is that a choice you want to make? Right. Okay, guys. Well, listen, it's been great to have this conversation, and I think you've given all of us some food for thought and perhaps inspired some uh, couples out there who uh, might be having some difficulty to uh, reconsider their approach or maybe um, maybe they're going to feel they're going to need to check out your website or maybe come and see you or something like that. Well, we're available at radicalacceptance.com. And you've got the book, right? Yes. Yep, the book. The book the is cards. there. And you've got the cards and the archetypes. And uh, <laughs> are you giving any uh, seminars or anything like that? Coming we up? Have, Can people check? There stuff is a out? seminar coming up. We're planning a weekend intensive. And trust me, these are intense. Yeah. Uh, for later in August, we have an introductory evening in uh, July, and we will be updating the website with those events. And check it out, radicalacceptance.com. All right. Okay, Christopher Oliphant and Rona Smitherum, thanks for coming in again today. Thank you. And um, we're going to take a little quick break here on Liquid Lunch, come back with uh, the band Simple Damn Device with some live performance. It's going to be pretty cool. So uh, stick around. We'll be right back. <laughs> 